One nothing raised the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep right center field. Siri at the wall. And it's gone. Mitchell looks for 70. <laughs> a sight to behold. He can't stop smiling, Brad. He was playing just fantastic <laughs> basketball. Here it comes. A swing and a liner back up the middle base hit into center. Here comes Quan. Here comes Rosario. The Guardians win. Are you ready? For the We Like Sports podcast, stay tuned and hear the latest on what the crew has to say regarding the latest sports topics nationally and locally. Make sure to check out WeLikeSportsPC.com and to subscribe on all podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at WeLikeSportsPC. And welcome to the We Like Sports Podcast once again. I'm Peyton alongside Ed and Columbus, Casey, and Stephen R. Smith appears to be joining us once again. How you gentlemen doing today, brothers? Thank you for having me on the show. What's going on, Ed and Casey? I'm just here to watch. I uh, <laughs> I, I can never, ever, ever. It's hard to follow Stephen R. Smith because he is the, you know, the lyricist, the linguistics master, the you know he's got it all. The, the lexicon, he just he just does it all. So I'm just happy to be on the show, and uh, you know following him is a tough act, but uh, we're gonna try to get it done today. Absolutely, and also Droy's, Droy, Drew is joining us at this time as well. Before we get started, though, guys, Stephen R. Smith wanted to talk about his appearance at WrestleMania weekend, though. Boys, I, boys, I was in sunny California. You see, I got my championship belt here from WWE because they know your boy Stephen R. is the champ. Now, I have been watching wrestling since the 1980s. I remember taking trips to Madison Square Garden with my mother, my brothers, my sisters, my cousins, seeing men like Undertaker the Giant and guys like King Kong Bundy slamming each other, having a great old time. And your boy Stephen R. tried to get in the ring to be a professional wrestler but your boy couldn't do it, but I had to put my, my skills elsewhere, and that was in other sports. But I had a great time. You guys see me on the post-show. I love the pre-show for WrestleMania. I had a great time. I, I wanted to give this show a shout-out, but corporate sponsorships wouldn't let your boy do that. And you said Undertaker the Giant? Undertaker the Giant. Yeah, he, res- he wrestled uh, Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania three. Undertaker the Giant. Who's the guy that, that's the dead man, then? The uh, American Badass? Who's that guy? Is that Andre? Well, I can tell you the American Badass is a Max Kellerman. Matt Kellerman? The American Badass is Eddie Columbus. Stephen R., I got a question. Now, you said Undertaker the Giant. Now, we all know that the Hulk Hogan at Madison Square Garden in WrestleMania three was the first person ever to body slam the Giant. And I can tell you that Undertaker Giant or whoever you're referring to could never fit into a coffin of regular size. Brother, I was there. I was a little kid. I was eating my hot dog, and my daddy got mad at me because mustard got on his back, Jack, and your boy had to pay for it on the car ride home. I was scolded, and I was power slammed by my own daddy. Well, before we end up going down the WrestleMania rabbit hole any further, because I'm the champ. Congrats. Congrats, Stephen Arbor. Really proud of you. Then we'll have to end up passing that title around. You might have to defend it now because you are the champ and you are a part of the We Like Sports podcast. Always, always, brothers. Thank you for having me. Let's get started with the show. Absolutely. Well, when we end up getting started, we're talking baseball, MLB. It's the first weekend with opening day that's already happened. I guess we'll go Stephen R., Casey, Drew, and then Ed and Columbus. What are your guys' first thoughts about seeing the pitch clock in action for the first time with opening day finally starting? You saw some high-scoring games. You saw some low-scoring games. And we'll get to this later on, but the Guardians are 3-1. and one. I'm so happy that the Cleveland Guardians are 3-1 and one because at the, at the time being, my residence is, is in the state of the Buckeye State in Cleveland, Ohio. But we're going to get to the pitch count. Looking at that pitch count, boys, I'm a lot older than all of you young men in this room. And the way that I've seen this game progress, I'm going to be happy to see your children, children, enjoy a fast game, enjoy a steady game, enjoy a game of inches. 
to me, it was a little bit weird, but your boy Stephen R is just, just going to have to get used to it. I think it could be fun. I think people just got to learn to adapt and get over the situation. And I think the, the sport of professional baseball could use a little bit of a jump. And maybe this pitching clock can also kind of help them and get some more viewers, get some more kids in the ballpark instead of kids on the phone, kids on TikTok. Casey? I mean, I watched every one of the, the Guardians games, so I had four. Um, I would say, personally, I don't see a difference in the game except for where James Karen checks in the game. Um, everybody else really has a problem. When he comes in, it, it just kills them. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen a, you know, in watching the games, much of a difference personally that bothered me or, you know, favored me one way, but I like baseball, so I'm going to watch you either way. <sighs> I hate the pit clock. I just, I'm never going to like it. Um, I get it. The games are faster. I mean, MLB came out, I think after like the opening weekend, the average game is like 26 minutes shorter. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the impact it's had, I mean, there's no there's no denying that they wanted to speed games up and games got sped up. But I think when it comes to, to viewership and all of that, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, opening day weekend is usually pretty watched anyways. So, I want to see it over the course of the season, whether actually – making these games that much faster has any impact on TV viewership or in person, because I don't honestly think it's going to put asses in seats at baseball games. I just, I don't, I don't know that it's going to make, it doesn't make me more likely to go to a game because pitchers are getting penalized for taking too long or Pete Alonso is getting penalized for getting back to the bag after a play. Like that stuff is, it, it's becoming, that example, Pete Alonso getting a pitch clock violation for getting back to the bag too slow just shows that this is just giving umpires more rain to to insert themselves into the game. It was completely unnecessary, and we're going to see more of that over the course of a season. Well, you know, we talk about going around the diamond. I'm getting vertigo watching Stephen R go around the room, spinning around. If Stephen R wants to make another trip around that, that's fine. I'm all for it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Casey made a good point about Karen Check. Uh, you know, that guy's a little bit uh, in between his ears sometimes, and then you throw a pitch clock on top of it. Uh, that could be some fun, you know, and that's what Major League Baseball is all about, entertainment. We talk about WWE. We talk about WrestleMania. We talk about all the shenanigans that go along with that. But uh, baseball is, is, you know, maybe – getting more entertaining that way and more drama otherwise. And I think that with the pitch clock, you know, I, I think that we say the word pitch clock, but to Drew's point as well, it makes a good point about Alonzo. It's, it's becoming a, a, a batter's problem. It, it seems like the batters are having just as much issue as, as the pitchers are with this clock and with their fidgeting with the hands and all this stuff. And, you know, some batters got to get used to that as well. So I also think that it's, it's going to obviously um, – have a lot more drama with the batters than you may, maybe so the pitchers. So I'm all for it. I mean, I don't know. I think baseball needs a little shake up and you know, all these people that are complaining, you know, I don't know. I mean, baseball needs a, a jolt and it needs to be talked about. It's being talked about and I think it's fun and, and we'll get used to the rules. The players will. I mean, they've been doing it in the minors since like 2015. So I'm all for it. Guardians three and one, eight, hey, you know what? We got the Oakland tonight. Let's got get out to a fast start and let's have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, Ed, it's been, Honestly, that Seattle game, opening day for baseball overall with the Guardians against Seattle, it was more inclined for me to watch just because in spring training, everyone saw that these games were going pretty quick. So it's a 10 o'clock game. It's on the West Coast. All right, midnight's kind of reasonable to stay up to if I end up staying up that late. And that game could finish by then. But that was one of the main components on why I ended up figuring, okay, I could watch this game because we'll see how quick these games are. And I think I fell asleep in like, the seventh inning and it was gone and over with a half hour later, but that's just the way that pitch clock it's beneficial to some baseball fans when you're away from home, I guess you could say, but if I'm going and attending a game, I'm going to be a little irritated that this game, if it's not, you're almost hoping for extra innings. Like that's what you're hoping for. If you're attending in person, because you want to see, all right, well, it's been seven o'clock and I'm out of here by nine. What did I do with my evening? Because in the past, it's 1030, and then you have fireworks afterwards, and it's a Friday night, and you got dollar dogs. But now it's, okay, I'm back home and out of the parking lot and in my house by 11 o'clock probably because of these rule changes now, which there's nothing wrong with it, but it's something brand new 
I'm a little interested to see how it happens, especially when you end up bringing it back home. I do have to say, though, I don't know if you guys saw, I think it was Sunday Night Baseball yesterday. It was Philadelphia and Texas. One of the camera views that they had was actually like the umpire's point of view. It was like almost like a video game thing. I think I saw it on TikTok. I actually didn't have the clip with all the other clips that I have in store for us today to end up looking at as well, including Shohei Otani and Pitchcom. We'll get to that later on, too. But did you guys end up seeing the view from that ESPN game last night at all? Or were we all watching WrestleMania, except for Drew, probably? Yeah, I was not watching WrestleMania. (laughs) We were on Peacock watching WrestleMania. I, I was TVs, backstage so. with I was backstage with my boy Snoop D O Double G and uh the Vince McMahon's son Shane McMahon is end up tearing his knee and I was back there and I was giving him some advice. I said, Money man, you gotta do a lot better. Money man, your boy's pulling for you. Money man, can I get a jet ride home? <laughs> but your boy Stephen R. I got, now a, question, I got a question for Stephen R. Now we know uh, WWE uh, merged today with Endeavor, going to be part of UFC. Now it's a twenty-one point four billion dollar enterprise. I want to know how much Stephen R. How much his cut out of that merge? Oh, your boy got no cut from that. You know, I had no dog in that fight, Roof Roof. Um, the only thing I can tell you about that situation, Mship, is that I will be probably being being booked for some commentating roles for a uh, mixed martial arts action coming up in uh, 2024. Oh, you heard it here first. Stephen R. Smith doing WWE slash UFC crossover events. Next Pat McAfee right there, Stephen R. Smith. Well, yesterday was more like my tryout. You know, they gave me the mic. They said, Stephen R., this is your city. We, we got confidence in you. Go out there and just be yourself. And then the second the cameras dropped, three, two, one, took the earpiece out my ear. I get uh, Mr. Mr. Levesque, known as uh, Hunter Helms-Hamsley, told me, hey, I got a proposition for you, my, my man. It's the bare minimum, but you can be doing some announcing for MMA. We had Pat McAfee in WWE. We would like you to be their Pat McAfee. So we're just getting some contracts fit, uh, situated. I'm going to mail it to Casey to make sure that everything's okay so you can, you know, second guess it for me and we'll go from there. And on that note, as you do mention commentary, I want to hit on baseball commentary too because with Guardians first weekend, it was, I think, the first or second night. That's honestly where I think the biggest hit with this whole entire rule change, the pitch clock, the speeding up of the game of baseball has changed because you have radio announcers that – you're usually like Vince Scully would end up struggling right now because he's a big storyteller and was always filling time. And for example, with the Guardians game, you had Andre not telling a story for half of an inning and he knew he wasn't going to finish it. And then the bottom half, that's when he started and stopped it. And he almost didn't get it out that story, those news bits on this upcoming player, whatever that scenario was. Almost it took a whole entire inning for something in the past that, okay, you literally have. 30 minute or 30 seconds to a minute for example with the guardians in the past 2017 i think when they ended up having carlos carrasco and he had some fun with andre Knott's microphone i don't think it could be something that could happen this time around just because there's not enough time to actually be personable because of these rule changes but it's also your non-traditional baseball fans getting that attention that way as well whoever wants to go first and feel free to talk about commentary if you ended up noticing it as well go ahead I mean, I can start and be the naysayer on the pitch clock again. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I'm outnumbered on this one, but it, it's another thing. Like, like you said, it's, it's this all goes to non-traditional fans, and I I don't know that we have any evidence that the non-traditional fans have all of a sudden become baseball fans because things are faster. I mean, honestly, I wanted to watch my buddy. Um, got his first start with the Mets a couple days ago. And honestly, I looked away and came back and the inning was over. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where usually you can hear a little bit about guys that we all know Jose Ramirez, right? But they pull some guy from the minors making their big league debut. It's kind of nice to have the announcers talk a little bit about who they are, where they're from, what they're doing. Yeah, the backstory. That's all getting exactly. cut out now. Because the, the non-traditional baseball fan needs a game to be over in two and a half hours or else they won't watch at all, which I don't necessarily believe. I don't, I don't see baseball becoming more popular because it's less personable. Baseball was different than other sports in that way. I mean, I watch hockey all the time. Everyone knows that. 
they still get little quips in about players and what's going on, but they also have 20 minute intermissions and in between periods where they can talk about that stuff. Baseball never had that because baseball was slower. Um, Part of the beauty of it being slower was that was part of the game. So I don't know. I don't, I don't love it. I don't love, I don't mind the games being a little bit faster, but I feel like the whole point of this is the goal is to churn out the game and get it over with, as opposed to make it more entertaining. Like the bigger bases have had more of an impact on the game being interesting than the pitch clock. It takes longer to enforce a pitch clock than the actual pitch would have taken. So I, I, yeah. I don't know why anyone thinks watching uh, an umpire enforce a pitch clock rule is somehow more entertaining than a pitcher taking an extra three seconds to pitch. Now, I have a question about the pitch clock. The pitch clock. Do you think it's going to affect the, the MLB video games on your PlayStation and your Xboxes? You think that's going to mess up your flow when it comes to that? I do like the pitch clock, but the old man in me – Loves the fact that baseball is a different sport because it is a slower game. And I also believe that people lost their damn patience and their damn minds. And so they want some a little bit quicker. And you got to give the people what they want. I think the MLB is just trying to oblige and try to, you know, get a little bit more butts and some seats. But I'm an old man. I'm old school. I love a slow-paced game, a game of inches. It's like a game of chess. You can't rush a game of chess if I'm playing against Ed and Columbus because if you rush a game of chess, you're not using your brain. You're not thinking. Right, right. I, I can answer the MLB the show question though. Um, there was already a 10 second requirement to throw a pitch because otherwise, there would be the longest games in history, and people don't play video games to play a three and a half hour baseball game, so that won't be affected at all. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that whatsoever. Nice, Stephen R. When he plays Madden, I've heard that it's always a bunch of delayed game calls, so he doesn't play MLB the show too often just to save himself. Save himself some time. Yes, exactly. Stephen R. Stephen R. When when you're playing your you know MLB the show or whatever game you're playing, um, unlike the pitchers in real life, you know I might be having a, a beverage with, with with my game play as well, and that's something that they don't have to factor in as well. So so I, I don't know how that works, but you know I, I would like to, maybe they, maybe Major League Baseball should do that. Maybe maybe they should have the pitchers you know in between you know pitches you know take a shot or a dream I mean, or 30, 40 years ago yeah. They yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah true maybe dwight, the strike zone dwight a little bit was, little bigger. Dwight, dwight gooden was doing a line in the in the bullpen before he came out so who was the I'm old uh, the old baseball player i'm forgetting the name but uh the dude that threw a uh, no hitter a perfect game while he was on acid the whole entire time Oh yeah, who was that? Oh, they they just talked about yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. He's always talked about so often too. Like he's always that guy, but he's the one that ended up. I want to say it was a no hitter, a perfect game though. And yeah, he was tripping on acid. Yeah, yeah. for a whole entire game. Like he, I, Robin Williams, I think he even talked about him in like a comedy bit. Doc Ellis. It was Doc Ellis. He Doc threw Ellis. a no hitter on June 12, nineteen seventy, and later stated that he accomplished the feat under the influence of. LSD. (laughs) Could you imagine like that? But also at the same time, though, this is the next question, though. I'm not promoting, obviously, LSD and anything. But do you end up thinking that as an individual, as a pitcher, do you think that that was something that he did because the game was too slow back then? Or is it something that you could get away with in baseball compared to football and basketball? And it's a little bit more fast paced when... Pitching, you just have to essentially defend yourself and hit whatever corners, paint the corners, hit your zone kind of scenario. There's a lot of stories about football players back in the day and uh, hockey players and everybody else doing drugs. And their sports are, I mean, hockey players that have been like loaded up on drugs on their on the ice. And that sport, you're constantly required to pay attention. I don't think this exactly has to do with it. I, I think. Some people just get all hyped up. They they just talked to some NFL player who said he would do all kind. Of, he would do like shrooms before he played games. An offensive lineman. And Holy shit! Put him in a whole different. He said it put him in some like crazy rage mentality that just allowed what? him to nonstop go. Yeah. Because Stephen R. shares something special. I mean, maybe it's easier to paint the corners when you're seeing the like the little unicorns <laughs> or something on the LSD. Maybe it's easier to <laughs> see demons. Yeah, right. I know. 
But Casey, to end up closing what we were talking about earlier with the commentary, you said you caught a couple of Guardians games this past weekend. What were your thoughts from if if you watched the television broadcast, if you watched the radio broadcast? What were your thoughts from watching it, or whatever broadcast you saw? Because you are in Florida afterwards. I don't know what after all what kind of commentary you end up having, or what changes when you have Bally Sports have issues up here. No, uh, I mean I had the same ones like the the Cleveland games I get. Um, but I would say it depends what you like to hear while you watch a baseball game. Do you want to hear Andre not talk for uh, 30 minutes during the game? Or do you just want to see the action, hear about the action, or the side stories? It all depends, I think, with the age of the viewer. And like I said, Drew says, I mean, with the, the fans nowadays want um, more action, less time, and they're more impatient. Um, so, again, like, you kind of could lose uh, like attention if Andre not's going on a rant about something on your phone, not even like paying attention then. And the whole inning's over because you want didn't want to hear his story about uh, Travis Hafner that he saw at the uh, captain's game or something along the lines of that. <laughs> Fair. Ed, what were your thoughts on that too, the commentary aspect? Well, I, I think obviously just like, you know, the players, the, the commentators are going to have to adjust. But to Casey's point, you know, that that's a great – Thing that he said about how you know what the fan wants and you know I, I think major league baseball they're gonna have to look at you know they they said that they're gonna look at it and maybe the pitch clock maybe it's a good thing but maybe it needs to be a little bit higher than the 15 seconds or whatever like that maybe make it 20 whatever the case may be maybe look at others and maybe not yep. get rid of it maybe maybe do things to you know change that up but don't get rid of it totally i mean there's there can be tweaks just like anything and and, and maybe not get rid of the whole thing but i i to the point if you're listening to a game on the radio you're probably are the kind of person or kind of fan that wants to hear all the backstories because you're not seeing the action you want to hear all that you're, you're most if you're going to watch a game you, you probably just you're an nfl fan or whatever like that you want to watch the game you don't need everything you might turn jim donovan on and everything in here because you like his voice better than what you're hearing on cbs or whatever like that but if you're listening to a baseball game on the radio you want it all you, you want to hear the backstories you want to hear these stories that's what you, that's what you want to do i used to listen to herb score before tom hamilton and there was actually a guy before tom hamilton his name was herb score he was really good his last game was the 1997 world series and it broke my heart when you know, Edgar Renteria hit that pitch off Charles Nagy in the bottom of the 11th. And, he, you know, his final words were season over. And I just thought to myself, well, not only is it the season over with, you know, not winning the World Series and, you know, blowing the you know bottom of the ninth with Jose Mesa, but also his career was over as a broadcaster. And that made me sad. So I think anytime you turn on the radio, you want to hear the backstories. And I think Major League Baseball has got to do something because there are, you know, you can't to, to, for them to assume that they're going to get this whole new audience of, like, say, WrestleMania followers that just want to see action. And No, baseball is still going to be – call it the curmudgeons, call it the old people, call it whatever, people like us even that, that appreciate the backstories and everything like that. So they're going to have to do some, some tweaking, I believe. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And, that, and, like, the one thing that even Drew brought up, too, is with Pete Alonzo and Shane Bieber ended up saying something, too, after that first game that – there was times that as a pitcher, you're backing up whatever base, wherever the throws are at, and then he has to be back on the mound and be ready and set within whatever jurisdiction of whatever time clock ends up applying in that scenario. So if there's a runner on maybe 18 seconds or 15, or else he has 20 seconds and has a little bit more time. But if you're running from base to base, just like you were taught ever since you were growing up in the game of baseball, you're almost expected to end up changing the way you played baseball. So is that something that MLB also might end up expecting too, or is that just one of the tweak scenarios? Which in this case, I think obviously that's just a future tweak that you have to end up improving on because we're only four games in right now for most teams. Well, I mean, if the pitcher doesn't back up the base, there's more likely, you know, the chance that a ball gets overthrown and then there's an error, and ba- runners are running all over the bases, which obviously is better baseball. because And more scoring. Better. Right. There will be more scoring. They don't have to be earned runs. As long as they're runs, that's all we care about. Yeah, that's very true. And before we end up going a step further with runs, because I want to talk about opening day and just that first opening weekend as a whole, but I also saw this video of Shohei Otani and him using Pitchcom, and I actually have it for us to all look at here today. But this just shows how special that Shohei Otani is and how he's adapted with these rule changes as well, and something like Pitchcom. But Swings here we go. In front of that sweeper. So what's he do? He throws that fastball and freezes him. Maybe to set time for that sweeper to get the punch out. 
swings like that out in front on that sweeper. So what's he do? He throws that fastball, freezes him. Maybe to set so to explain that, that to get the punch out. he has he this pitch like count within his sleeve, and he's not looking at it whatsoever. Some pitchers, like we were talking about Zach Ranky last week, he would have his pitch cam on his glove or whatever, and you're knowing what the buttons are, one, two, three, four, whatever pitch. Well, Shohei Otani on the other on the other side of that has it up his sleeve. He isn't looking at it, and he's just memorized the placement for whatever pitches he's calling within his sleeve, which, I mean, that's mind-boggling to me too because it just doesn't only show how good of a pitcher he is, but he's adapted in a way with these new rules. But to take it a step further, he's doing it blindfolded. He's calling his game blindfolded. And I think that's probably the coolest feature about all these rule, ch rule changes. And on top of it, Shohei Otani's only been around since, I can guess right now I'm not going with facts, but probably like four years, three years now. He hasn't been around forever. But for him to adjust from playing over in Japan, now to play in the MLB, to end up doing something with pitch clock like that, that's super mm -hmm. interesting and unique that you're blindsided when you're calling a game and – He's only been around for how long? And is he? Is this also something, to go a step further, is that something impressive and something that he's doing because this could possibly be a contract season? I think the brother is just smart. I think the brother is just thinking to himself, you know, I don't give a damn about these gadgets. I know what's in between my ears, and I know my rotation. I know my own pitch counts, and I'm just going to go by this because I am a professional. And Casey, is that a Hooter shirt? Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> this is just for you. I knew you were going to be on, so I wore it just for you. But Casey, Drew, Ed, what were your guys' thoughts on Shohei Otani or that clip? Was that something intriguing to see? Is that a good sign of the future of baseball, possibly? Well, I think that uh, he's showing his smarts and uh, – if he was a football player, I know the Cleveland Browns and analytics would love him because he's, he's doing it the right way there. And, you know, I, I think maybe more pitchers will start doing it that way. I mean, I mean, the way that he's doing it, I mean, I would think that others would try to emulate that, especially if it gives, you know, an, an advantage. So, no, I just think that he's just, you know, a, a pioneer in, in, in deciding that I'm going to do this. And, you know, it's, and you're right, contract year, you're going to do whatever you can to get those extra millions. So that's just smart of him. And it just shows what a complete player that he is, not only, you know, physically but mentally and you know baseball is a, a mental game so and tip of the cap to Shohei Otani. Drew Casey go ahead Drew I want to hear the how does this the pitch clock affect this no I want to hear it <laughs> no I, 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 was gonna, I was gonna make a joke about that brother I, I swear to god I actually don't think this is the pitch clock I, actually, <laughs> I think this is just a matter of like Shohei Otani being that much better than most of his counterparts. Um, don't be surprised that, like, by the All Star break, almost every starting pitcher that's regularly in the rotation doing this. Um, I mean, spring training. Obviously, we were going to see a lot of guys fumbling with it. It's it's relatively new, but you can tell Shohei put in the work to know where his. I mean, it's it's like any other endeavor people go into. You get familiar with like where everything is. You don't need to keep looking at it. I mean, repetition, just, baby. And he and the location he has it makes a lot of sense because it's part of his setup. I mean, it, hey, maybe yeah. it speed things up a little bit. Like in his setup, he can do it. I think that's a matter of comfort. Some guys are going to have it on their belt, but you're going to see a lot of guys not looking. Um, but but obviously he puts in the work. I mean, he's he's not one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter, and one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher, um, in the league because he doesn't put in the time to prepare. All you know, Casey. I don't have a hot take on this. Um, I mean, I agree with what he said there. Like, I think that it's something that with time other people will start doing just because – you know, people try to find ways, especially in baseball, not to cheat, you know, but to get the advantage on the opponent. Um, so, I mean, it's not – it's not it's crazy that, that Shohei, of all people, he said best hitter and possibly best pitcher um, in the league right now thought of this. But, um, like I said, I think it's preference on the pitcher. What do they prefer to get the calls from the catcher or do they want to do it themselves? Or, so I think preference. To even go a step further, too, with – I mean, he's a hitter, too. And there's been how many times – I mean, Cleveland's witnessed it before – 
They played against Houston, and I hate bringing up Houston, but you're looking at in the past that there was sign stealers before all the time in baseball, and Houston wasn't the only one that did it. And Shohei Otani's also in the position of hitting, too. So is he maybe a step ahead of the game because he's in that hitter's perspective that, okay, maybe if I'm pitching, I see that this pitcher is going to use his pitch cam on his belt or something. I could kind of see it. Is that maybe just an advantage of being a two-way player that's really good, too, and that's a unique scenario for him as well? That's another thought. That is a good scenario, being a a two-way player, because you think about it. If they play in the Fall Classic, what happens in the Fall Classic? The man on the mound's got to come to the plate. And I I would feel hella confident if I got Otani. I know the man can throw, and I know the man can hit, and I know the man ain't going to quit. Well, there's a rule change though a couple of years ago where it's all just DHs though, Stephen R. Yeah. Yeah. Pitchers don't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was seeing if y'all knew that shit. Yeah. I mean that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Another garbage rule and ruined the NL. I mean, it would be a cool scenario, but like either way, you end up having the only thing that they have special for Otani is the Otani rule where you end up having him. He could be in the game as a DH after pitching, which in the past before that wasn't a thing, but there's also a rule change too. So that's one of those really in-depth rules for baseball. But enough about Shohei Otani. Want to hit on the Guardians really quick and Terry Francona. Just a very questionable move, I guess. But it's also Terry Francona, so I don't want to say questionable. It's a really loose term right there because he's a genius. He's an expert at managing his guys, and he's brought Cleveland to right. Vinci ever since he's been around here in 2013, 2014. Yes, sir. But with Josh Naylor, you have three catchers on the bench right now to start the season for the Guardians. Josh Naylor was coming off the bench, and the last time that he was in right field, he had an injury, and that's where he ends up at last night against Seattle in a pinch hit opportunity, and you get sent out to right field that's a little questionable like not only just because of the injury but you have so much off the bench but you're taking advantage of having three catchers and having pinch runners pitch hitters which is great but at the same time though it's a little questionable that you have Josh Naylor in right field and we're four days in as a Guardians fan I'm a little concerned I don't know about you guys I didn't even realize it like, that was that, like, to be honest, like, he went in the right field. They hit the ball to him. He made a pretty good throw in. I know that. Um, he was in that. So I knew he was in the right field. But I personally didn't even, you know, was bothered by it. He was in there for two two innings. And like I said, I don't think – if he's going to get hurt again, I don't think it's going to be in right field Brief first base running. Yeah, you never know. You can't predict stuff like that. But, yeah, I didn't even – I wasn't – I didn't know this was even a thing, like, until right now. <laughs> like it was even you know, like uh, I'm gonna talk about. I, I like I like him being out there. I I think Tito knows his guys. I think that you know him getting injured that was a pretty horrific injury and everything and, and when he was hurt. But you know I think for this Guardians team, I mean let's be real. You looked at the series against the Yankees and the ALDS. I mean it's still one of the teams where they're gonna hit more long balls this year. I think with with Bell. But they're still one of those teams where they've got to string together hits to score runs. I mean, they're not, you know, like the Yankees where it's, you know, judges up, there's a three-run homer. I mean, they're going to be, in, you know, I'll give them the analytics credit because they have found players like Quan and everybody that they look at the, the way that they, you know, percentage of the bat hitting the ball. And they're really one of the top three teams in baseball doing that. But, you know, the extra base hits, Naylor's really good at that. He's one of our best. And, you know, anytime you can see the field or be in the lineup, if that means he has to be in right field eventually and, and getting him out there maybe a little sooner than what you had thought or anybody probably had thought. But at the same time, you know, I mean, he's healthy, right? Um, so get out there and play. I mean, I, I don't know. I think Tito knows him. And uh, I don't think he would have put him in a position where it, it would have been detrimental to the squad. But um, I'm glad he was out there. That he didn't get hurt, and uh, hope to see him more in right field because we may need him to be. So, you exactly right there, Ed in Columbus, and I think Tito Francona. I met the man personally. He is a great man. That man, if he's not confident in any of those men on his roster, he would not have them do anything that he wouldn't have them do himself. I believe that Mr. Francona has what best interest for every single one of his players, and he doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to see them mess up. 
So he's going to be the best manager that he can and still try to put aces in certain places. I do think, though, that the, this does help the Guardians with the uh, rule changes, though, because it does increase the stolen bases. So, I mean, if you get a single, I mean, most of our lineups pretty quick that they could take a couple bases, you know. So, I mean, you get a single, you steal second, and then now without the shift on, I mean, I think I've personally seen more more hits. So you get more gaps, you hit it in there, and then it scores the run from second. And, I mean, it's it helps the way that we play because we don't just hit home runs. We're like we're the worst team yep. with almost home runs. So like, I think it benefits point, us. And to your point, too, look at Stephen Kwan when he hit that ball down the third baseline that literally hit chalk. You have quick guys. You had Miles Straw, I think, on base and Zanino. And Zanino's not quick at all, but you ended up having that painted the line. You had two RBIs, and Stephen Kwan has five RBIs in a night, which is leading the team right now, which, like you said, speed kills. And that's a great thing for the Guardians right now if they could manufacture their lineup that way. Plus, at the same time, Drew, I'll let you get to your point next, but who would have thought the Guardians would be 3-1 and one right now after facing Seattle, especially after Shane Bieber was the guy that lost out of that whole entire series? But he didn't take that. He didn't take the L, though. Yeah. I mean, me. I, I, I thought they were – I don't I was too surprised. But, Drew, what were your thoughts? No, I, I think I think it's one of those things where it's so early in the season – why not try it? I mean, to be to be realistic, I mean, I get I get Naylor got hurt playing right field, but at the same time, if if every time somebody got hurt, they never played that position again, you'd be kind of psycho about it. I mean, if somebody twists their ankle playing shortstop, you're not going to say never playing shortstop again. Um, obviously, he's healthy enough to play; otherwise, he wouldn't be playing. And so, I don't see the problem with trying to find out if you have more utility guys on your on your roster. I mean, it. If anything, teams are finding more guys who can play more positions so that they can tweak their rosters. Um, you know, like Jeff McNeil can play four or five different positions. He's the starting second baseman for the Mets. But let's say they want to bring somebody up or somebody gets hurt. They want to keep his bat in the lineup. If the next best bat plays second base, you bet your ass he's playing a different position. Um, and that's going to be the same thing with Naylor. If, if Naylor can continue – to be a batting average slash extra base hit machine. You want him in the lineup, however you can get him there. And if he's not going to be your DH so he can hit every day, you better find a position for him to play. And it doesn't hurt to have him able to play another position. By the way, they did that with Josh Bell before too. He was a first baseman who occasionally played right field. So it's not a shocker to put, you know, someone who's typically not an outfielder in right field where you typically put your worst fielding outfielder. Yeah, very true. And to go a step further, too, with I mean, it's four days in, like we said, it's still super early with this situation. But Josh Naylor played most of first base last year whenever he wasn't splitting it with Owen Miller. But if you need to keep the bat in the lineup, that's a great approach. But also you have guys like Oscar Gonzalez. You have a lot of youth, and I think that's why it was kind of forgotten because on top of that, somebody like George Valera that's in AAA right now, what's the future with him then if the Josh Bell experiment works out? Therefore, you end up keeping him, possibly extending him longer if you can, and then you have him at first base, and then Naylor goes to right field. Valera's just kind of another Nolan Jones situation almost, it seems like, if that got to that point, but this is a big what-if scenario. But that's never a problem because, you know, one thing with the farm system, you know, who, who's to say down the road, you know, Shane Bieber, I don't know how long he's going to be. We need to trade for an ace or something. We're in a pennant race or, or, or really, I mean, not like we're not going to be in a pennant race this year, but I'm just saying like, you know, just like the 90s Indians, you know, there's might be a time where we need to trade for some pieces, you know, and it doesn't hurt to have some some prospects in, uh, down on the farm. And, and as great as these guys are, even like Nolan Jones and Valera and all the guys that we think are going to be great, if, if they're chips and, and to get something, you know, that we need for the Major League roster for this year to try to beat the Yankees or, or the Astros or things like that, that, that doesn't hurt too. So by neither, you know, getting in the right field and, and like, like Drew said, finding out players that can play multiple positions, this is, this is a good problem to have. Like I'd take this problem any day. So, and, and I trust our front office to, to do what they need to do to, to make sure this Guardians is, is competing for, for years to come. When you got to think too about, um, like you said, those players, I mean, Will Benson, um, yep. Zimmer, Naquin, um, Mejia, 
Like they were supposed to be big Bobby Bradley. They Clint were supposed to be big names, yeah. For us, like they're big prospects that we thought were gonna be the next big thing. They're untradeable, right? Then we trade them away, and a lot of them haven't turned into much per, that I think personally. Yandy Diaz could end up going on that list too if you even want to. Urshela. Yep. Yep. Urshela's been showing flashes finally ten years later on in his career. <laughs> I can say though, so it's a lot like I said, we, a lot of it. I mean, we didn't win a championship then, but we you know traded all those pieces away. We got pretty far, we got pretty close a few times. The the best thing, and I guess this will be the last thing we hit on baseball wise, and I just want to get a collective thought. But the best thing is, is that the window this time around, if you're a Guardians fan, is so large because you end up having extensions this past week with Andres Jimenez. You end up having Jose Ramirez get an extension last year. Trevor Steffen gets an extension. There's rumors of more players getting an extension. Shane Bieber's the only quote-unquote odd man out right now just because he has two more years and I think like an option. But it's okay if we trade him away because we have so much pitching in the Guardians farm system that that's okay, but if we end up having six, seven years of relevant baseball with the same core group, I ended up writing an article this past week. That's how you end up getting back to 455 sellouts in a row. You have a good core team. That's yep. we like sportspc.com if you want to end up checking out Ed's article as well, Andrew's as well. I'll, I'll tell you, winning does more to bring fans to the stadium than anything else. Well, well low ticket prices and winning. I will say are the two things that bring fans to the stadium. Absolutely. Look at look at the Cavs. I mean the 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 not yep. to not to divert from baseball, but the Cavs have their best attendance since 2016. Why? Because they're winning. Yep, it's, and they're good no, at home. It's, not, it's not just winning though. It, it's it is winning, but here's the thing. It's winning knowing that you got a window of like Three, four, five, six years. It's like no, this Cavs team, for instance. Like we know they're going to win, but they got young stars, and you know they're going to be here next year, you know, in the year after that. So there's a window. I mean, there's a lot of teams that okay, they'll they'll go all in, and you know they're going to win this year, but you know if they don't win at all, they're they're dismantling, they're they're tearing it apart, and and sometimes fans don't show up for those teams because they know okay, if we don't win at all, okay, why, why am I going to? But this. People can get invested. They can get their hearts into these teams, knowing that these players are going to be here. I think that winning does bring fans to the stands and everything, but it's the constant. It's knowing that they're going to be here, and the window is open. And in Cleveland, and you look at the Browns, Cavs, and Guardians, I think for all three teams, I think that's what makes Cleveland special, especially if you're a young fan, knowing moving forward. And that's why I'm passionately, you know, I'm all Cleveland. I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to put my stocks up, I'm buying. I'm buying Cleveland. I'm buying their three teams. One of them's going to win a championship in the next five years. And before we end up going to talk about basketball, because I like the fact you went in that direction. And for the first time in probably the relaunch of the Wheel like Sports podcast in 2023, this is the longest we've talked about baseball, which is great. And Casey, unfortunately, CJ missed it, but that's his own loss right now <laughs> until he's done coaching baseball. But so be it. That's the way it is. And there's still we have until October to talk about it as well. But before we end up hopping into basketball, Want to give a shout-out to the Snooze You Lose podcast. Uncle Joe, the Black Bookie, will end up giving you any single game lock pretty much. He had, I think, the Angels and the Athletics with one of the parlays or one of the lines, I should say, with I think it was like giving one and a half runs after five innings. So tip for what I could learn from him is make sure those no-run first innings are options as well. Your after five innings, if they have a lead, if they end up scoring early on, look at the bets that way as well. And like I said, at Uncle Joe, the Black Bookie, uh, Snooze You Lose <laughs> podcast, make sure to check them out. What's up? It's your boy, Uncle Joe, the Black Bookie. Don't go anywhere as you're listening to the We Like Sports podcast. Once the show is over, tune in and subscribe to the Snooze You Lose podcast available on all streaming platforms. Our show is a sports and a sports betting podcast where the motto is and always will be win together, lose together. So tune in. And like I always say, snooze you lose. What's going on, We Like Sports Podcast fans? We wanted to take the time to tell you about our great friends at Sidelines Sports Bar and Grill. Sidelines is known to have the best wings in the Cleveland area, with over 30 different wing flavors, including our favorite, the Spicy Honey Blast. Sidelines also has their steak special every Wednesday, all day, for only $9. You get a perfect 8-ounce strip steak served with your choice of a baked potato or fries with a side salad with the dressing of your choice. This great deal is for dining only. Stop in to see 
our friends at Sideline Sports Bar and Grill at 1165 Pearl Road in Brunswick, Ohio. Again, that's 1165 Pearl Road in Brunswick, Ohio. Or give them a call for takeout at 330-220-0888. 330-220-0888. Sideline Sports Bar and Grill for nights you never remember, but the friends you'll never forget. Guys, going back to basketball. Stephen R. and I were chatting not too long ago, and he was talking about the Larry O'Brien trophy two years too late almost, or a year too late, I should say. But I will plop him up on the screen. Here's the old NBA championship trophy. You have the typical trophy, your net, and you also have the rectangle or a court at the bottom, and here's the newer version as well. And it kind Ugly. of looks like won an Oscar. <laughs> It's, but, I do like the fact that it is more detailed. I do think people with an untrained eye had no clue what the original Larry O'Brien trophy was. They probably thought it was just a basketball going inside of a laundry basket for the most part. But now people can actually see the netting on the uh, the net. You can actually see the stuff around on the basketball. You can actually see, like you said, it reminds you like an Oscar and a Grammy where you can actually hold it up a little bit higher instead of just, you know, trying to hold a flat piece bottom and putting up two hands together. I think the new trophy, I don't like it so much, but I will get used to it and I will get over it. But if I was a team personally in the NBA, if I won that O'Brien trophy, I would definitely want the original first. And I want to get Drew's take on this from a different perspective because you ended up mentioning the way you hold the trophy. Drew's a big hockey fan. Stanley Cup. Yeah, you can drink out that some of them, you know what. Stanley Cup is the greatest trophy in sports by far. That's, anyway, that's a big ass trophy. I've seen it personally. That is an idiot. First off, um, but I I don't really get why they changed it. It doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't think it looks any better. I think it's like the same trophy. But the Stanley Cup's been the same for the entirety of the NHL. Uh, you know, the World Series trophy stays the same. I, I don't. I that don't reminds know. me of a mermaid for some reason. The commissioner's trophy. Yeah. You got all the flags going around like that. It reminds me of like a mermaid or a triton. It's sick though. Like I honestly thought the NBA's is kind of the most boring out there. Like what the? Fuck? I mean, the Lombardi trophy is kind of boring too, but it's, Bet, it's yes. iconic, right? It's it's like iconic and like it's like it's got all the dents from like players dropping it and all that other craziness. But it's just like it's very classic, very basic. The NBA's was like not fancy enough, but also not basic enough for me. Like out of the four major sports, it's the trophy I like least. But I, I don't, I don't particularly think the change made it any better or worse. It'll never be the Stanley Cup. No trophy will ever be the Stanley Cup. Until you know you- what, Drew? You're right, Drew. You know why? You know why the Stanley Cup is the greatest trophy? Because you don't hold the Stanley Cup. You hoist the you Stanley hoist- Cup. You hoist the cup, That's right. and and it's the hardest one to win. Um, like even though they don't have expanded playoffs, Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win, and the stuff people do with the Stanley Cup is absolutely <laughs> the debauchery that goes oh, on with it. Yeah, it's great. What the hell are they doing? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna for the sake of keeping viewers and keeping this like relatively PG-13, you can look it up. Stephen R, R, don't, Stephen R, R don't people. act like you don't know Stephen R. You've been to Stephen R, if you party. won the cup, I don't want to know what you would do with it. <laughs> well, the first thing I would do with it, I would treat you with respect, just like I would do any one of my ladies. And then I would hope that my grandmother doesn't come over and she doesn't put butterscotch in the top for the grandchildren. All right? No, it's those little strawberry candies that don't exist oh. in stores. Them, the circus peanuts, the little, you know. The, 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 but everyone knows those strawberry candies. That you can't buy them in stores. When you tur- when you get your AARP membership, they just start appearing in a gl- in a in a crystal candy dish on your uh, coffee table, and no one knows where they come from. <laughs> that and those weird green pants. Casey, Correct. do you want to hit on the Larry O'Brien Trophy? The change. Uh, what your thoughts no, are? No, my thing is, I don't. I think no matter what league you're in, if you're the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, whatever the championship trophy in that league is, is the, the biggest deal to you, right? And I don't think that them changing what it looks like, like you know, if I if I my team won the if the Cavs won the finals this year, 
instead of last year, like the trophy being different, I really don't care. Like, you know, I, as long as we won the championship, that's all that matters to me. Yeah. You wouldn't give it back. Can I go back I'm to not, the commissioner's trophy? I'm not putting it in my house. Like, I'm not getting the trophy. It's like, you know, like, it's not mine. So I don't care. You know, you wouldn't can I, can I hit on the commissioner's trophy one more time? Well, you could. I looked at recent. Let's series. go back to the World That's Series in 1995 and 1997 for the Indians. If you go back and look at those photos, that that commissioner's trophy looked a lot thicker. It looked a lot wider. It looked gold compared to a slim platinum silver. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, you are right. Okay, I thought your boy was just crazy. I thought I was hanging out with Dale Strawberry might, a little bit too might, much. You might be crazy for other reasons, but I don't think about this. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, changing to two more topics, too, and this is the best part, too, is we ended up saying last week we'd talk about the national championship. I guess just a quick hit, instead of a random Indians player, we'll change it up this week. We'll end up going with predictions for tonight's matchup for the national championship, so keep that in mind. Think that ahead. But the news came out this past week with the new collective bargaining agreement with the NBA, and I like this move a lot. Players need to play a minimum of 65 games if they want to win any league award. So whether it's Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, MVP, so on and so forth, especially with this game management or load management uh, environment that the NBA's had this past year. And you had guys like Steph Curry sit the bench in Cleveland and fans traveled thousands of miles away. Same thing with Jimmy Butler. It was talked about a lot. What are your guys' thoughts on that, that you're actually being held accountable as a professional athlete, that if you want to win an award, even somebody like LeBron right now, you can't get rid of because he's missed a lot of time. And I think he's under that requirement. I, I think that is absolutely right because you are a professional. You are held accountable because you it's a, a basketball, what, 83, 82, 84 season game. So who the hell are you to come in at game 30 and then play play phenomenal basketball, by the way, but then you want to be in the category for MVP or rookie of the year or defensive player of the year. No, you got to start from the opening tip in late October, early November, or whenever the hell your team starts, you're a professional. You are held accountable. I think that is freaking fantastic. I have to go to the bathroom, gentlemen. I'll be right I back. I agree with Stephen R. Smith. I'm going to say it. I never thought <laughs> I would, but I, but I do. I agree. I think yeah, like, you're not going to win employee of the year at your own job if you only showed up about 70% of the time, right? Very true. Using my Stephen arithmetic, 65 games is 79% of the games of an 82-game season. So, you know, you're basically playing, you know, 80%. So I think that's a, a fair number to play to, to get evaluated and, and win an award. So, um, yeah, I like I like the, the new uh, requirements. And um, I also, too, management. I hate load management. Yeah, load, I was just – thanks, Drew. I was just about to get into that load management. Yep. Uh, it, it's kind of horseshit to be honest with you, especially in basketball. Like, uh, I mean, I watch, uh, I can bring every, every topic back to hockey. Hockey plays the exact same number of games. There are people who have played all eight. Well, now we're at like 77 games or something. There are guys who have played all 77 games in the same time span in a much more grueling sport. You're telling me that basketball players need to take, you know, six, seven games off every month or so just because it's too hard. Yeah, it's very it, – it's it, – does it always stem back from what LeBron James is as a person? Because, like, there's always been the comments from – we were talking about with baseball, your older viewers, and it seems that always your older viewers end up being not a fan of LeBron James, and it was always a link to, oh – he ends up flopping. There's always fingernail fouls, blah, blah, blah. Is that also part of it, too? That just, like, that's basketball as a whole, and it's because it's represented by LeBron, and he kind of represents basketball, possibly? Like, is there a correlation? As somebody, I think there's a lot of people out there. I can't stand LeBron, but it's not <laughs> because of that. Um, I think the stat was the Lakers this year have taken 411. Well, this was, like, as of this weekend. 411 more foul shots than their opponents over the course of the season, 
the next highest team was under 200 more than their opponents. So I don't know that there's not that much credibility to the LeBron and his teams get a lot of calls over their opponents. This season tells you that's true. Just pure numbers. They're averaging more than five more foul shots per game than their opponents over the course of an entire season. That's crazy numbers. Um, But I don't think this has anything to do with LeBron. I think this goes into that GOAT debate. You know, how many, how much load management was there in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s? I didn't hear about it. It's a, it's a, it's a, we need to keep our stars safe and we want them to be happy so they, they don't have to play as often. And if they want to take a day off, they can. I mean, Shaq told the story about how he had his birthday party one day and his goal was to fall out of the game or get himself into foul trouble so he didn't have to play. But then they started losing and Kareem Abdul Jabbar was in the stadium. And so he dropped 60 points on his birthday and then went and got hammered and then played a game the next day. So uh, I I don't know why players now need load management. Players before were quite capable of doing their daily lives and still playing multiple games in a row without crying about it. I think, I I think a lot of these people now um, in this younger generation, and I'm not trying to sound like generation X or a baby boomer because I'm an old man, but I think that some of these young athletes are still, they still want to have fun, but they forget that they are a professional athlete at the same time. Back then, my boy, Don't Do Mars, and the Bad Boys, and Lambeer, those boys will go out, get hammered, hammer you on the court, and still play the next day without even without even a complaint or a scratch on their face. I think some of these people out here, they just rather want to be on social media and then play a little bit of basketball. But, buddy, you are in the National Basketball Association. You in the big leagues. Days you don't want to play basketball on back-to-back-to-back days and you got to practice, get over it. There's tons of people out here that would love to be in your position. Yeah. yeah. I was waiting for somebody to say Allen Iverson never said anything about practice. So, Not the game. Not the game, but we just we, he was talking about practice. It was, did he also say that to you, Stephen, or was that another guy that he had mentioned in that too? I think that was on our old network, sir. Yeah, yeah. He, me and me and Alan Iverson, we do keep in contact all the time. Um, to get off subject right here, Peyton, I got locked out of my Twitter, and I trust you with all my assets. I'm going to need the password keys and everything back, Jack. You need the keys to the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I need the keys. I, I lost my spare. I'll I'll definitely get you the keys to your Twitter. I'll drop them off. Yeah, sometime. please, like right after the show. I, I need I need it. I got I, the last last time I got distracted because I was getting ready to head to California for wrestling. But the, right when I get off the show, I need you to send me my emails and stuff for Twitter because I got locked out. Well, I thought it was a key, so I'll give you the key to put into your phone, and then you could twist your phone kind of like a charger outlet, and then it'll unlock your Twitter. <laughs> you yeah, got like, jokes, brother. Like <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Stephen, all right, I got you covered. But last topic of the day, quick hit right here beforehand. There was a rumor, or not even a rumor, Shams ended up saying that Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, they're considering that the Mavericks are sitting them out for the rest of the season, and they're only one game out of the playing game. They're considering it strongly. Really quick, 10 seconds or less. What are your quick thoughts on this one, guys? It's a really interesting I think that's thing. a damn fool, and I don't think they're trying to win. I think they're waving the white flag and they're saying, you want to know what? If you want to go in, you got to put your best foot forward. And your best foot forward is Luka Doncic. And the other foot will be Kyrie Irving. But you notice I said Luka is the best foot forward. I don't know why the hell they doing this. I don't know what the hell is going on with Mark Cuban. But once I get uh, locked locked back into Twitter, I will be getting a hold of his ass and asking him, what the hell are you doing? Trying to get into the lottery, probably. (laughs) That's the only that's the only real excuse for it. Right. Mm. I mean, I don't, I, that decision, I mean, I saw the news on it and I'm like, there's no possible way they're benching these guys a game out. Right. Like there's no way. And then the more I hear about it, the more likely it seems like it could happen. How can you possibly justify to your fan base that you have a shot to get in the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, everybody's the same seed. You have the same chance to make it all the way as everybody else. You're going to tell me you're completely conceding that 
for what? The hope that you may possibly get a draft pick? Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. It's definitely a little ridiculous. And next topic to close the show before we end up going into UConn versus San Diego State National Championship 2023 NCAA College Basketball, which is the weirdest matchup, honestly. But Stephen R. last week ended up hitting on it, and I want to just give this a shout-out to him for his time. He said, question for next week, guys. MVP, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or Nikola Jokic. Who's the MVP or who deserves the MVP? I'm going to go with my boy Luka Doncic. Go for it, Ed. Uh, this is not this is not going to be popular in Cleveland, but uh, Joel Embiid. Um, I, I'm sick of Jokic winning it. Um, I, you, to me, you got to elevate your team. I mean, I, 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 to say that it's it's an award for the best player on the best team. I don't know. It, there's some merit there. So even Giannis, but and, I, how can you give it to Luca? They're not even going to make the playoffs and. And I, I think that he's the, probably the best overall player, but I think MVP means most valuable. I think the word valuable should mean that it translates into W's. And if it doesn't, then how valuable is it? So that's why, Luca, sorry, you're a great player and maybe next year, but uh, not this year. It's almost – Stephen R., he's kind of saying like an old Cleveland tradition. There's always next year for I heard, I heard, I heard him, brother. I heard him, and it kind of made me weep a little bit, man. I almost went to the Kyle Hogan and watched it burn again, brother. He said, Stephen R., this is for you. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's Jokic again. I mean, I I get the argument of, you know, best player on best team, which he's – he's. I mean, he's the best player, just not on the best team. But <sighs> the guy is just that good, right? I mean, I think it's between him and Embiid as purely the best basketball players in the league right now. I it, Just the pure numbers. I mean, the guy is – he averages a triple-double a game without fail. He's done it for multiple years in a row. You're talking about Jokic? Yeah. I, so, that was actually going to go into my next one. So, so I am agreeing with Ed and Drew. It's either going to be Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. But – he needs, I think, 42 assists within the next couple games to end up averaging officially a triple-double. And I think there's only, like, four to, like, five games left. I think it's possible. I think he could end up ending it with averaging a triple-double throughout the whole entire season, which would be similar to what Russell Westbrook did. And I think with that, if you're a stats person or if you're a basketball guy, that's enough of an argument right there that you deserve to be MVP. But Joel Embiid ends up having a great argument as well. I'd end up saying I think it's Jokic, but Embiid wouldn't surprise me regardless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely doable. I think they have four games left. So essentially he would have to have, on average, I think it was like it's between eight and ten assists a game to get it. Which it's is possible. basically his average. So I don't know why it wouldn't be doable. And I can tell you right now, the NBA is such a stat-driven league. Like, when LeBron was, like, on the verge of getting his, his record, the win didn't matter whatsoever, right? Nope. They were going to give him the ball 75 times until he got his record because the game didn't matter. If, if it comes down to the team figures out that in order for him to win MVP, he's going to have to average a triple double. They will give him the ball strictly no. so he can pass it back to them. Yeah. Right by the hoop underneath it. And baby assists. passes the ball, the guy's going to shoot. And yep. it's just the way it's going to happen. All right. So last question and guys tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, 8 AM Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, any podcasting platform whatsoever. We like sportspc.com. There will be a link up there for you as well if you end up needing help to find the podcast on all podcasting uh, platforms, 8 a.m. Tuesday morning, as mentioned. But last question of the day, UConn or San Diego State University, who wins tonight? National championship in Houston, Texas, where Houston thought that they belonged, but they didn't even get close. 
I'm going to agree with Riggs what he said a couple weeks back when we had our man from Alabama on the show, and he said it scared him. Riggs randomly blurted out UConn, and that could just be a good dark horse to win it because I because UConn was scary to some people, and people didn't expect UConn even make it to this far in the dance. So why not UConn? Why not them? I agree. I think the UConn Huskies will cut down the nets in Houston. will be their fifth national championship, the most in college basketball since 1999. I think they do it in extraordinary fashion, kind of like how they beat Gonzaga. I say 84 to 57, maybe 80. I I think it's going to be a blowout. San Diego State, credit to them. Uh, They play great defense. Um, but I don't think there's going to be enough offense. Uh, great final four game against FAU, but I think they're the Cinderella. I don't think the slipper fits, and UConn will win the national championship tonight. Drew? I can't pick UConn. I hate UConn. <laughs> Fair um, enough. I hate them too. <laughs> San Diego State's going to win. I hope they win by 30. My guess is it's going to be a closer game, probably like 75 70. 75 69 somewhere in there i i just had to say 69 because it's funny um but yeah i i think (laughs) i I mean most games are gonna fall in that range anyways i mean i didn't even remotely have this as my finals in my bracket but i think i'm gonna stick with like my point projection which i think was the total was like 150 or 141 points i think it's still gonna end up close to that Okay, so let's go San Diego State. Since I'm not a Syracuse fan, I can say this. Who I think is going to win is UConn, but who I want to win is San Diego State University. The score prediction that I had, I think it was like 73 to 71 or 73 to 69, something like that, whenever I ended up having my bracket filled out. Tonight, though, I think it'll be 71 to 69. I think that's going to be a really close game. There's never a championship that's ever unwatchable and that's kind of ed scenario but it's i, don't, I hope i'm wrong i hope i'm wrong i hope so too but it's it's college basketball what a close to the college basketball season and what a fun time to end march but guys thank you once again go san diego state university aztecs because you can you could end up finding the door somewhere else yep yep that was for you drew i appreciate you I know, but we'll see you guys next week, Monday, 7 to 8 o'clock, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Make sure to tune in, and tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, 8 a.m., Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all podcast platforms. Tune in, listen, at PC on Twitter, WheelixSportsPC.com. For me, I'm at Peyton Vince on Twitter, at Stephen R. Smith 15, at Ed in Columbus, and at Four City Sports for Drew. Check us out on social media and stay tuned to us and keep on interacting with us. And we'll see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Later, fellas. Be blessed. Thank you.